He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. This is a hard episode to produce. Um, I'm just going to jump right into it. Anton Zibelberg, the creator and founder of AutoHost. Um, this episode is in memory of him, uh, in memory of his legacy, and in memory of um, his amazing family and business and just impact he's had on the industry. Um, unfortunately, four days after recording this episode, um, Anton unexpectedly passed away. And so if you're listening, we really wanted to get across that this episode is in memory of him, in memory of his family and the impact he's had on everybody he's ever come in contact with. Um, Anton and I were just starting to um, get to know each other and really just had an amazing time with him on this podcast episode. So I'm honored that we get to show his his memory in in this form and so thank you guys for tuning in and just listening and yeah you know really being a part of what his vision and goal was and if you're you you are listening to this right now we want um to you know send love prayer thoughts out to his family and team and so please enjoy the episode take notes because this guy was nothing but a genius um an amazing guy so this is this is for you anton this is for your family this is for your team at AutoHost, and of course like i said for your legacy welcome to slick talk the hospitality podcast where we discuss all things hospitality hotels and business you can find us online at slicktalkthepodcast.com and on every podcast listening platform All right, everybody, welcome back to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, and I'm your host, Will Slickers. I'm very thankful for uh, Zoom and all these electric ways that we can use for meetings and all this exciting stuff that comes with the podcast world. Um, so today, I have an awesome guest. I have Anton Zilberberg from AutoHost, and for any of you out there in the Slick Talk universe, I've never heard of AutoHost in the vacation rental world. Um, this is the episode you need to listen to. There's so much meat in this episode that you guys are just gonna, I think you're like, it, I wish we could make this a two-parter. This would be so sick to make like into a series, but at the end of the day, we're here for you guys. So get ready, buckle your seatbelts. Welcome to the show. Anton, how you been, my friend? Right, it's all right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a while in the making. We've been putting this together for a little bit, and it's been a pleasure to get to talk to you and learn a little bit more about what you do and and your business. So I would love to just jump right into the meat of the episode and have you introduce yourself um, a little bit about your background and what AutoHost is and does for the industry. Yeah, it's perfect. We actually had some back and forth uh, trying to catch up, right? Yeah, a little bit, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so actually, thanks for uh, finally uh, booking me for the show, and it's a pleasure to be here. Hopefully, I'll be able to educate everyone on trust and safety. In a brief introduction, AutoHost is a risk analysis platform for fast-scaling hospitality providers. We use behavioral analysis to increase the friction for high-risk guests and reduce friction for low-risk guests. Our objective is to get the good guests into properties as quickly as possible, seamless interaction, and flag those bad guests or what you would deem to be bad guests based on your rules, based on your preferences, 
and stop them from entering the properties and making sure that A, you get paid and to avoid any unpleasant surprises like parties, which is a recent event that's been, events actually that's been happening across the industries. No, for sure. Well, I'm curious to, to know, I have so many questions. Um, where did this come from? Where did this idea stem from? And really, how do you guys do this in the sense of um, really what shows, like what do you analyze to show a potential risk or a non-potential risk? So we actually started in property management and we quickly scaled that management company. We always, uh, me and my co-founder, uh, who's actually my wife, uh, within the property management company, we were constantly building and improving on operational efficiencies. So we started by building different types of automation to streamline the guest experience, uh, automatic check-ins, and uh, different types of automatic communication, safe replies, and a bunch of cool things. That's, uh, we're talking 2014, 15, 16, mm-hmm. way before all of the automated tools that exist today. Yeah. And unfortunately, we got attacked uh, after scaling quickly into a bunch of other platforms and we realized that we have a really big hole within our flow within our process flow and we got attacked by organized crime they smuggled all types of bad behavior inside they had escort services trafficking drug dealing and that really enlightened us and we said we can't continue operating with this we absolutely need to solve that issue for us And we basically took everything that we were doing manually, translated that into an automated way. And now it's become a behavioral analysis product where we're analyzing different signals that are coming from the OTAs, from the reservation, and we're assessing risk based on what you as a property manager would deem to be risky. We look for things like anomalies within the reservation process. So the number of guests on the reservation, that's just one example. If it's just one guest and you're booking a 10-person occupancy, well, we know that it's kind of weird, right? One guest wouldn't need a 10-person occupancy. That's kind of a giveaway. We also look at a bunch of digital characteristics. So their IP address, their geolocation, we're doing a bunch of correlations on 500 different data points and data signals that come from the devices in the browser, analyzing all of that. And together with a bunch of different personally identifiable information, we're building a picture whether the guests are those who they say they are coming for the intended purpose that they're stating. So it was really came from a need within the space. And I'm happy to say that we're one of the leading security companies and security vendors working with really large operators, helping them solve that issue. Now, this is kind of off the cuff question, but you know, you're talking about a lot of data points and, and uh, computer signals and other things like that. Um, is this safe in the sense of um, for like guests as well as host or property manager? Yeah, that's an excellent question. We aim to build a product that is non-biased, non-discriminatory. So right now, the way that screening works in, in overall for hosts is that you're getting an Airbnb reservation and you're seeing the name of the person, their phone number potentially, and the profile picture, right? And you're trying to make an assessment based on that in addition to their reviews. Now, a bad guest um, for me, for example, somebody who had a meth lab explode in my house, a bad guest for you could be somebody that violated your house rules and walked with shoes inside your place, right? There's also unconscious and conscious bias in the process, and that is very, very difficult to remove, regardless of where you are and regardless of where you are in the world. 
So from a safety perspective and a privacy perspective, we're aiming to provide the easiest way to interpret results by removing a bunch of those biases. Now, for the guests themselves, the nice thing about this is that the entire platform is built by professional security experts and we're very privacy conscious. So okay. we're abiding by all privacy regulations around the world, GDPR, and just amongst the most strict ones, of course. And that is one of those factors that play a role. In addition to that, because we're using dynamic analysis, not every guest is going through the same verification process. So gotcha. uh, Will, if you're making a reservation, let's say last minute, you would go through a more stringent verification process. So we would ask you for more information, like your credit card, um, of course, it's processed by an external vendor. We never have access to it or your ID. And if me, uh, Anton, is traveling with my family and I'm booking it months and months in advance, the chances of me being a high-risk reservation is significantly lower. Therefore, I wouldn't need to provide so much information. And that's gotcha. a crucial part of the process. Yeah, I was going to ask. That kind of goes into um, the what like the indicators were. But... Um, I think this is, can be like a two-parter for, for everyone who's listening. Um, I guess, what are those key indicators like you talked about, whether it's you know time of booking versus time of arrival and other things like that, like uh, one person for a 10-person occupancy? And then also, how has the risk changed? Now, what indicators have changed during COVID for hospitality providers? Yeah, that's actually a super interesting question because what uh, COVID brought is all of a sudden in influx of demand of um, I, I must have housing, right? Yeah. I was either laid off from my job and I need to relocate to a cheaper accommodation or another way where you let's say you're a salesperson and you were constantly traveling because you didn't have a lease and we see that frequently and all of a sudden you need accommodation in your city. So what ended up happening is that we've seen an influx of reservations being squeezed into a shorter lead time mm -hmm. and that by default increased the risk. Some of the things that we've seen though, because of that is we've seen security deposits fail closer to the reservation date. Yeah. Uh, we've obviously seen a high cancellation rate from leisure travel because people, the borders were closed. That's mm -hmm. just a common trend in the entire industry itself. And we've seen a bunch of incidents of guests misrepresenting themselves. So they're trying to sneak in, uh, creating profiles for someone else. So let's say your cousin in LA, and you're trying to sneak into a party in Chicago. Yeah. Some of those things that we've seen, right? Those are actually really interesting things and really interesting challenges for us as a security company and for the industry overall to resolve. I was going to say, um, with, with something like that, with um, security deposits and stuff, have you seen a shift at all with property managers going away from that into something more like a proper insurance or safely or even if I don't even know if you guys have something in that sense of uh, kind of like an insurance safety net that covers more than what it would take for like a $1,500 deposit versus a hundred dollar a million, you know, hundred bucks for the guest to pay for a million dollar insurance policy. Yeah. So we, we actually don't do insurance at all. We partner okay. with whoever uh, provides that insurance, uh, whether a general commercial liability provider uh, or other companies that offer travel specific insurance. Right. Yeah. What's what we've seen, though, in the security deposit front is that we use that as one of our ranking factors as well, because we know that, for example, American Express has a very, very good um, security 
on mm -hmm. their cards and they would flag any cards and any, any transactions that deemed to be high risk and they would flag that from, uh, they would catch that pretty quickly. So we actually analyze those. Then you would have the different types of other credit cards, prepaid credit cards and cards that are far, uh, marked as fraudulent or debit cards, right? So it's actually quite interesting for property managers to accept credit cards, not for the purpose of security deposit, but rather for the purpose of analyze, analyzing the guest itself. Now, on the security deposit front overall, I always like to recommend to all of our customers to charge some form of a security deposit. The reason for that is if you're allowing a person to enter into a property, you want to make sure that they have at least $500 on their credit card, right? Mm -hmm. you're, the rights that they get when they're entering a property and the liability that you're taking is huge, right? And if somebody doesn't have $200, $300, $500 on their credit card, or uh, they have insufficient funds, or they have a prepaid credit card or a debit card that gets declined, that's a risk, right? Yeah. That yeah. might not be the person that you want. Now, it depends on the property itself. If you're a hostel or a three-star property or whatever it is, or a motel of some sort, that would change. But generally speaking, within the vacation rental industry, the more expensive the property, the higher the ADR, the higher the rev bar, you want to have some form of collateral. And yeah. that collateral, what, what better collateral than cash, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, I was going to say my business partners are probably going to hate me for this. And thankfully, they don't listen to the show as often uh, as other people do. But we had a couple guests that very well checked out. And I think most of the listeners know and most of the guests know that we have a, a castle. It's a 22,000 square foot, like legit brick and mortar castle. Um, and these guests were lawyers. They were, you know, kind of doing a staycation, small little get together. So they said, right. And uh, we always have a deposit. It's uh, about 1500 and you know, our nightly rate is in the $1,600, you know, range. So they're paying a good chunk of change in order to stay at our property. And um, let's just say when they checked out, we definitely wish we had auto host at that point because we um walked in on a pretty pretty interesting uh vacant property with some evidence of a little heavy partying and a few other things that were left on the counter if you know what i'm talking about and uh so you know we emailed the guests back and you know said look this was unacceptable the way the conditions were you broke the guidelines and the contract and all the rules but unfortunately that $1,500 and their nightly rate didn't even cover the cleanup and the damage and all the other stuff that was going on. Um, so it's interesting to see, even though um, us as humans, when we're, you know, trusting a guest, we're verifying or, you know, sending a contract, we're having their ID scanned they're you know, we're checking out their businesses that they owned or whatever. Like there was still, we, you know, it, it was a safe in our head, but at the end of the day with something like what, auto host does uh, probably would have showed a little bit more risk than what we, you know, only saw on the surface. Correct. And, and actually what's interesting there is that you, what we've identified and our clients are reporting the same thing is that when you're holding a lot of information about guests or about people, they behave better. So if they had plans, you know, they rented a castle and they had plans to bring 50 people and they advertised it on Facebook and it could turn into 300 people. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe they changed those plans and now they're capping it to 20. So the damage that you could have is significantly smaller at this point. Exactly. That's obviously an extreme example. Um, we've also seen and reports in multifamily where 
um, there's a bit of a friction between the long-term and the short-term tenants. And mm -hmm. overall, the uh, long-term tenants are reporting better behavior from the short-term rental guests. A part of that is because now they're abiding by certain rules and certain standards, just like long-term tenants are, right? Yeah. yeah. The transaction doesn't become anonymized anymore. And the property manager actually has a legal way to go ahead and charge the guest. When you're providing ID, signing a rental contract, security deposit, you're providing your email, the names and everything else, you would think twice before you're going to have that party. And that's something that works really well. You don't need auto host for that, right? You can yeah. do it manually. You can do it uh, by being super diligent. You can do phone screening, you can person check-in and just have that face-to-face -face conversation without having any fancy tool to do so. For sure. And I was going to say, what, what, what kind of goes into like the, cause we're talking about parties a little bit, um, you know, with fraud, identity theft, you know, credit cards, all that stuff. Um, we know we've seen this trend pick up from COVID, especially with a lot of people getting out of their, you know, big cities like New York or Seattle. We see a lot of people going to the outskirts, right. To the um, outer quote unquote outer banks of, you know, urban areas and, and getting away, but also at the same time, now we're seeing a lot of these properties become COVID party related, or um, maybe, you know, one of my favorite stories from Noise Aware is that uh, underground strip club that the strip club owner, you know, rented a place in Miami and got all his Genius. talent. Genius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, you know, all the things like that, thankfully, you know, that didn't continue on for very long. It got shut down pretty quick, but um, you know, like we've seen a trend, we've seen a trend that people um, are taking, I think we're all getting creative in certain ways, whether you're a strip club owner and going to an Airbnb to run your operation, or if you're, you know, a 19 year old with a brother that's 25 and can get you an Airbnb and you can go party with your friends. Um, you know, there's a COVID trend and I think we've seen that. So what do you guys, um, I guess, in, the sense of auto hosts seen with the the risk and not only the risk but the indicators for for these trends yeah so it, there's a severity to everything right uh so there's the general risk what we categorize as general risk is uh, it, it's they are who they say they are they're just not coming in for the intended purpose that they're stating so yeah. that's the party i'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, the fraud risk. The fraud risk is a whole category in its own, which is the identity theft, the sex trafficking, and gun yeah. trafficking, drug trafficking, all this bad, bad, bad shit. Um, these are usually very organized groups who have a system. They're sneaking in. We've seen an increase in those because naturally when rates go down, the those people um, actually are coming out of nowhere. I call them the traveling circus because they're moving from city to city and kind of hitting property managers who are unsuspecting. And when it usually happens in the winter and the risk, the general risk overall increases in the winter because there's less demand, property managers are aching for that revenue. So they're uh, kind of cutting corners only to regret that reservation after. Mm -hmm. So we, we're seeing that. Uh, we're seeing a lot of stolen credit cards coming through, skimmed credit cards, stolen credit cards um, coming through, and then they end up resulting in a chargeback. We actually seen a bunch of mismatching information coming. So we have a very advanced uh, location tracking with uh, five different geotagging points where we leverage the, um, wherever they clicked on our links, wherever they actually opened up the uh, connection to our system, their IP address, their browser, as well as where their 
uh, phone number is located and registered and a bunch of other indicators to where they are. And we've seen an increase in mismatches, which is quite interesting, right? Because it means that somebody who's originally making the booking, it could be from Seattle. And then yeah. all of a the sudden they're doing the verification in Chicago and they're entering a property in Florida. And all of that is a same day reservation. Well, that doesn't make sense, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unless there's something fishy here, there's something wrong. So we've seen an increase in that. In regards to the COVID parties, I, you know, people are aching to party. Clubs are closed, bars are closed, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. what else are you gonna do? What are you gonna invite a bunch of people to your parents' house? <laughs> so, Hopefully so, not. Uh, no, right? Your parents will kill you, right? So yeah, what's the yeah. easiest way to do this is just to rent and short-term rental somewhere on a not suspecting property manager, on a suspecting owner, bring your friends there and just party there, right? Yeah. The people who are doing it don't really care about any of, any of those quarantines. They That's don't, true. right? They don't, they're not the ones who are law abiding per se. That, yeah, yeah, you can say that <laughs> law abiding is a good term. Um, my, so my question is kind of off the, off the cuff again with this. Uh, so auto hosts, like the way you guys do this, are you, mostly for property managers that have their own direct booking platform or could this be anybody who has like for my parents for example you know they have one property and they manage it just on airbnb um so would like that this be something that they can implement into their their system as well so the platform was actually designed to be uh for enterprise clients hotels and high growth property managers and we're optimizing your efficiency and accuracy of screening and collection of information and validation of that while decreasing risk right so the product is designed specifically for teams it's not designed for individual homeowners yet Uh, we don't have a product for that you're you're actually better off doing it yourself rather than paying some form of a tool because you need to have that assurance that you have actually gone through your sop uh, standard operating procedure and you have actually screened a guest the way that people are asking me constantly what can i quickly do you need to do everything within your power to feel safe that the person that's entering your home is in fact the person who's entering the home right yeah yeah if if you have any form of doubts or if there's anything that doesn't make sense don't be shy to lift up the phone give them a call do a video call meet them in person do absolutely everything within your power particularly if it's your own home and yeah. an increase of threats that we've seen of people renting their own homes is actually identity theft because these groups, they're renting with stolen credentials, they're renting Airbnbs, entering into homes, going through the documents file, stealing their social security numbers and their credit cards, their credit card numbers, phone numbers, addresses, they have a bunch of information and then they go and open up loans, remortgage the houses, uh, open up, steal cars. They yeah. do a bunch of crazy shit. Like, yeah, just endless, crazy. right? The threat yeah. is endless. Well, and that makes sense too for the enterprise side of things, just because there is such an influx and high traffic of information flowing in. I think for, whether it's from a you know property management platform or just from you know inquiries alone, you're probably when you're at that scale seeing a lot more of like a, a. It's hard to vet through a lot more information when you have a lot coming in versus one offs that are just you know one weekend here, one week there. Like my parents, you know, they're not swamped they're not having a hundred they don't know you know they can very much manage themselves versus like a company like ours we're you know constantly vetting you know guests and getting new properties up online and you know all these other things so that makes a lot more sense 
it, it's really easy to get things to slip by, right? When you're yeah. a large property management company, because you're optimizing yeah. against one metric, which is usually your revenue growth or profitability or whatever it would be. And then you're kind of neglecting your operating procedures, right? For sure. Um, it, it's very easy, very, very easy to neglect and forget about that. And the disadvantage that we have as operators against these bad people is that all it takes for us is to forget something once and they would need to find an exploit once and they're in, right? For yeah. us, <laughs> as operators, we need to cover our bases and cover kind of all of our walls and put cannons everywhere to make sure that there's no holes in our security and our defenses. For sure. That's how cybersecurity has worked forever. It's not something new. It just yeah. used the hospitality space. Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're seeing such a huge growth with vacation rentals, especially. I just got off the phone with um, um, a guy with Marriott and, you know, they're obviously, hotels are in a different position. They're, you know, not uh, getting as much occupancy, if any occupancy at all. Um, and this is something that they've been doing, you know, with, they have front desk staff that can manage these types of things, you know, check ID and credit cards and all the other stuff. But I want to go into um, how do you protect your business and your employees? This is kind of a, a big thing that we always talk about on the show is that, you know, we're always about the guest experience for sure, but I think the team and employee staff experience, and this is a big part, safety. Um, you know, we all want to feel comfortable on the guest side and on the property management side to feel safe that we're providing not only a good service and a good standard, but that our guests are also providing, you know, safety to the, you know, the assets that we're managing currently for either other real estate investors or ourselves. Yeah, um, that's uh, something that uh, the feedback that I get usually when I speak to people and conferences is change your freaking passwords, right? And enable dual factor authentication and make sure that you have an ongoing list and use like LastPass or OnePassword or anything along those lines and yeah. create dedicated logins per employee because you, don't, you never know when employees are going to be rogue employees. You don't know when a client or a customer will turn against you and try to hijack your business or whatever, or anything along those lines, make sure that you're securing your accounts. That's, that's a simple security advice overall. You should be doing that frequently and you should be securing everything you can. The most important part is education. Get educated about the risk. I'm sure that everybody who's listening to this right now is here to learn and get some advice and figure this out. So that's the first step. The next step is to bring that expertise and experience to the rest of your team. What are those threats? What is identity theft? What is a chargeback? Why is it important? What to look for? What is a risky reservation? Why we shouldn't have parties? Why are the risks to my business when I have a party? The risk mm -hmm. to the business overall when you have a bad incident could be huge. You can damage your reputation as a property management company, which means that you wouldn't be able to acquire new clients. If there's a bad news article that comes against you, and you would lose your potential operating license if you're in a heavy regulated state. And you could actually get yourself into legal trouble if you actually don't take those things seriously, right? So getting educated is very, very important. Um, the next thing is after you get educated and you change your passwords and you give everybody their own credentials is to make sure that there's standard SOPs and standard operating procedures in regards yeah. to accounts handling. Um, things that we do at our company because we're, we're a security company our CTO is a cybersecurity expert so we're super strict on which types of emails attachments and things like that that we even accept right yeah and when I started this I had a little heart attack almost when I saw that 
on one of the major OTAs, um, there are no permissions. So essentially, that was a couple of years ago. They fixed it now. But you essentially, anytime you create a new user, you would open up the possibility of that user changing the account credentials or changing the um, permissions or changing where the deposit, uh, where the uh, accounts are going to be, or the payments are going to be routed, routed to, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're a high growth property management company, even a couple of days of operations of the uh, reservations being deposited into a different account, that is a massive, massive, massive liability for the business, yeah. right? Go yeah. recover that. It's very difficult. So a, a lot of managers don't realize that, but it's basic security advice that comes from all the security companies in the world, right? Yeah, pretty much that. And it's just, I think, you know, we have a, like, again, it kind of goes back to the growth of the industry, right? There's so many old school ways that are now becoming like, okay, people have caught on to our old school ways. Like we need to up it in everything we do. We're maturing, right? Yeah. The industry is maturing. It's, it's a yeah. phase that happened. I mean, before that, I, my lawyer actually was, uh, started using, renting his apartment on Airbnb mm-hmm. way before it was a thing, before you and I even knew that it existed type of yeah. a thing, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, like 2010, 2011. And he told me that he never charged anybody for cleaning for like two years. And people left the places clean and he would leave the door open, the keys inside, and it was a complete trust system, right? Yeah. The types of people that were using it were first adapters. Now, when it became a little bit more common, um, hanging a lockbox on a fence in the middle of a park or on a bike yeah. hole, right, to your million-dollar apartment doesn't yeah. cut it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Um, so what are the trends emerged from COVID? Obviously, like we've said, this is kind of something. Um, I think COVID definitely sped this up. Um, and I also, you know, talked with Michael Golden with Noise Aware, and we, we've discussed about a lot of stuff that, you know, the industry was already growing and, and shifting and maturing, kind of like we just said. Um, but I think this whole COVID-19 really sped it up in a lot of different ways. Um, and did, so what are the trends that have emerged from COVID-19? And then did these changes uh, or did these change the threats faced by property managers? Yeah, so... The obvious change is the move towards longer term extended stays and midterm rentals, right? Mm-hmm. That's just uh, the nature of the business and how it came to be. I mean, there's less daily travel, there's overall less volume of travel. Uh, so that has moved. That's uh, being kind of talked about everywhere, right? Airbnb has a program for that. Mm-hmm. I've even seen that Booking.com recently created a program for extended stays because they know that they need to compete on that. Uh, the traveler per, uh, persona, has also changed. So if before the it was a lot of leisure travel and some business travel where you almost have no business travel now. Yeah. So cities like Toronto where I live where we had a big chunk of our revenue coming in for business travel that all of that basically disappeared. Yeah. Very little. You have a lot less leisure travel in urban cities and so you have a lot more uh, staycations type of a thing so people staying mm-hmm. coming in and just want to relax or they want a place away from their kids. So the traveler has changed. So there are a lot of locals are going through, which if you ask any property manager, who is the most high risk demographic, they will tell you locals, right? Yes, 100%. <laughs> you're not, yes. Anonymously. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it means that by default, everybody became high risk all of a sudden, right? Yeah. And if you were to even profile that further, you'd be like, well, is it locals or is it locals under 25, under 30? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? So yeah. th- that's, that's kind of a change. Um, 
it also brought new types of risks to property managers. So if before that you were a short-term daily rental operator, and now you've moved into an extended stay operator, you are opening yourselves up to squatters and people who are yeah. taking advantage of that murky law system where short-term rentals operate, which is between commercial and residential, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we've seen that happen over and over again. Like we, we as a company had to adapt to that change and we had to build specific requirements for screening long-term tenants and long-term guests, which means that we basically build automation and we built things like Equifax and TransUnion reports and build automation mm-hmm. towards that. And we had to leverage additional screenings and we had to um, go through stricter requirements in the background checks. And we had to ask a lot more information and sometimes even provide, uh, provide help our managers collect the, uh, show the ability that the tenant can actually pay yeah. or the guest can actually pay uh, for a couple of months going forward. So if they're coming in for three months, and their rent is $9,000 a month, which is kind of silly, sounds silly. Well, do you actually have that money in your bank account or do you actually have a job? So those have became risks, which didn't really exist before to those types of managers, right? Yeah. So a lot of the things that we always recommend is to collect the payment in advance. For sure. And that's the best recommendation I can have. Yeah, I was gonna say collect, yeah, payment in advance and, uh, you know, it kind of goes in the staycation thing. A lot of uh, people, um, even in our industry that we, we know that we're, you know, connected with in our network are flying to places to go work remotely, just to change the scenery, bring the kids, bring the wife, bring the husband, whatever. And they're getting up, but you're, you're also right. You know, they're, that's a big chunk. You know, if you're paying $9,000 just to go to a new place to work. Um, I don't know if I saw a $9,000, like let's say for my parents, little property if i saw a nine thousand dollar inquiry come in for three months i'd be a little confused i'd be like what my rent isn't even a third of that so why why are you going to pay you know five times more for this so that yeah that makes sense and i think collecting payment and screening for the the proof of income is key it's got it's like that's a must we we actually i have an ongoing joke is that you know if you don't have $500 on your credit card, then maybe you should think twice before spending $9,000 on this reservation, (laughs) right? Which goes back to the security deposit question, right? Yeah. Maybe maybe it's not as effective against the $10,000 security claim, but uh, at least you're verifying that they can, that they're normal people who have at least a little bit of money on the card. And that really helps protect things. The other part is that a lot of jurisdictions, municipalities, states have changed their eviction laws, right? For COVID. Mm Yeah, not allowed to evict. So uh, the people are taking advantage of that. And those professional squatters, those professional tenants, they are very well aware of those laws and rules, right? So even if you call up the sheriff's office and you say, hey, I have somebody squatting here, they haven't been paying, well, nothing I can do about it. I can't really evict them. So protecting yourself with the correct agreement drafted by a lawyer, knowing your laws, and hopefully avoiding any mentions of lease or anything that resembles residential tenancy laws would be the best recommendation you can have right things like commercial commercial agreements uh commercial usage agreement or we refer to it as a usage agreement overall where a usage agreement is essentially a license to enter a real estate property as long as you're paying to enter that property once you stop paying for that property you lose uh, the license and therefore you're trespassing so if you need to call up a 
the police, you can say, I have a trespasser, right? Or yeah. I have people who are unlawfully located in my property. Once you get there, you, once they get there, you can essentially dissolve the drama. Yeah. No, that's smart. Slick talkers listening right now, you need to take note of that. Like that's so, so key. I have so many people in my life right now that are experiencing, you know, long-term renters not paying because of those lifted restrictions on, you know, squatters rights and all this other stuff that goes with COVID. So yeah, guys, take notes on that. That's some good stuff. Um, if, the, if anyone is having issues um, or problems within your jurisdictions or have any uh, needs any advice, consult a lawyer, obviously. And we have a lot of information on our blog as well as you can reach out to us. We'll be more than happy to help where we can provide additional context and insight from our experience. We'll be more yeah. than happy to do that. For sure. And listeners, I will be putting that in the show notes just as a FYI so we can have a actionable step for you to see it. Um, so kind of back to the, the flow of what we're going, what can property managers do to avoid these types of guests? Obviously we've kind of talked about, um, you know, collecting payment up front or other things like that, but maybe something that's preventative maintenance type step. So the most, the best advice I have is to essentially know who's coming in, right? Mm -hmm. That's, you need to know who's inside. Do they have um, social media accounts. You don't have to look at their social media accounts. Um, you need to look at, do they even exist, right? Do they have a valid phone number? Can they be reached there? Um, is this a valid email address? Well, it's very simple to validate those things by sending them the check-in instructions to their email address, right? Yeah. If they open it, well, do you know that they have a valid email address? Uh, those are some indicators. Then, of course, sign that rental agreement, um, provide ID, provide a credit card, provide all of those major indicators to make sure that you know who's inside. So it essentially comes down to collecting information about the guests in a secure way and disposing of that information when it's unnecessary to remove the risk of privacy violations within your country and within your space. Those are the best, the best things managers can do, particularly right now when everything is sensitive, people are tense, losing their jobs, losing mm -hmm. contracts and everything is changing, right? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, if you're, so any podcast listeners out there right now that are listening to this part, I think if you are at the state where you do not have a property management platform, so it's like, you know, Guesty or Hostfully or whatever, if you don't have one of those, you should get on one because this is going to be um, something that's going to be really key, I think, from 2020 and forward. Um, you know, direct bookings is a, you know, obviously a huge thing. But what Anton is saying right now with information, knowing your guest, um, these types of tools like a property management platform and auto, uh, auto host, this, like he's been saying is also been control. You have now, you're now taking back control, which is super important. I think we all saw it in the beginning of COVID, right? When we had hundreds, I, I, you know, pretty much everybody had cancellations and lost all revenue on the books, any future stays, any summer, you know, we're at the end of, we're at, no, we're at September. So, you know, we're in September now, summer's over we lost all that revenue except for, you know, maybe the last minute trips that have come in. Um, so this is really key, like control. And this is going to go into the, the next point I want to talk about because uh, this is something, you know, as a property manager myself struggle with. Um, so Airbnb has recently changed their off platform policy. Now, can you talk about that? Because um, it has now made it more difficult to guest screen and Airbnb, you know, 
being the the lead OTA there is for short-term rentals, this, I don't even know, like it's just, it's made it very difficult, even with having software and all these other things. Um, I want to, I want to get your insight because uh, how, I want to know how does this affect the screening process? How can we overcome uh, this lack of control that we now have from this, this one platform? It's important to note that Airbnb has its own incentives, right? And their own shareholders and their own stakeholders that they need to uh, kind of satisfy. And those are not their hosts and not their managers. Yeah. Usually 100%. it's their employees, investors and so forth. And those come first. And why I'm suspecting that one of the reasons why Airbnb even created this policy is because Airbnb and all the OTAs, they're not competing on the supply side, they're competing on the demand side, they're competing on the guest. And mm -hmm. what property managers have been doing is using Airbnb as a first batch attribution to acquire a guest and they're remarketing them for direct bookings or cross-platform bookings or whatever it would be, kind of stealing that. So Airbnb created those policies to prevent managers from doing so. Mm -hmm. In reality, what they've done is also created a very difficult process for managers to abide by from a privacy perspective because now they're not from a screening perspective and a assurance perspective because now they're taking the entire responsibility of screening onto themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, with the increase of Airbnb incidents and the increase, and we're using Airbnb as an example, but it's not unique to Airbnb. It could be an yeah. LTA or direct bookings. Air, the increase in incidents has gone up and it's, when something actually happens on your property, Airbnb doesn't show up at your door kicking people out, right? Nope. Just you. like what happened, it's you. It's <laughs> you, the manager. And yeah. it's just like what happened to the uh, property manager a couple of weeks ago that got shot. And this is just an unfortunate incident. I've never heard anything like this. You got beaten up and shot when you tried to dismantle a party. This is the risk the managers are taking, right? Yeah. The platforms are not doing that. So. For us as a company, as a screening company, we're actually in a fortunate position because we don't need to rely on a lot of that uh, personally, personally identifiable information in order to make an assessment. So we have so many data points and none of them are dependent on each other per se, and we can assemble a picture without it. And what we recommend to do is to add into your terms of service that for legal purposes, and to abide by your insurance purposes and insurance requirements and legal requirements within your contractual obligations, you need to collect certain pieces of information and list what those are, whether that's ID, whether that's credit card, whether that's your email address and all of those things, because you actually do need that for insurance purposes overall, right? And most contracts would state that you need to do some form of screening and that usually consists of collecting certain pieces of information. So that's kind of the, the broad answer. And why it's even more important is because when you're collecting those, those pieces of information, you're going through the KYC process, the know your customer process, which banks and financial institutions have. And that is a much bigger assurance piece that you need to have as a property manager. And just like I uh, kind of said before, when you don't know those, when you're, you don't have that information and you don't know who's coming inside and you're uncertain of who that person is, you're yeah. taking risk 100%. and it's unnecessary risk. Right. So, and that, that's not, a, that's not a good thing that Airbnb has done, but it, it is for selfish reasons and I can totally understand why they do it. I don't have to agree with it. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. You know, I don't agree with it. I, you know, I think it, it makes, you know, we're already as an industry, you know, a segment of hospitality that is fighting 
for the, you know, the bad, you know, we're fighting against the bad name that has kind of come from it. Uh, obviously, we're a new, not a new, but we're a new age of, you know, uh, short-term rentals. So um, the Airbnb parties, the, you know, neighbors being upset, you know, this is why things like Noise Aware have been created and why your companies have been created. Like there's all these companies that have been created because lack of control and lack of, you know, being able to gather information and regulate properly. And Correct. so I, I actually, I, I do want to note that it yeah. actually states in the policy that you're not permitted to collect guest information unless required by local laws or building management. So you're not essentially violating that if you state yeah. that for those reasons, there's no way for or need for you to provide uh, specifically to Airbnb that you, the contract or your contractual obligations, you just need to state those. So that's yes. kind of a way to get around it. Consult a lawyer before you do that. Yeah. No, that's what I was going to say, because for us, even though we're in the luxury segment of vacation rentals, it's still, you know, it's uneasy to have to reach out on a platform that screens, you know, what information is being passed along between property manager and guests. So uh, I think that's really good. That's a great tool. I'm definitely going to use that and get our lawyer pretty much on the phone right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but uh, so well, he's going to start betting you from the moment that you said that you're going to reach out. I know that's why I got to do more research. Like I have it all mapped out for him. Like, all right, fix it. And then give me the lowest bill possible. Um, so how does security change in the hotel industry? What are hotels doing? Um, because I'm a hotel guy. I've never been a hotels versus vacation rentals. Uh, a lot of my listeners know that. Um, I, I think there's a, a need for both and I don't think either one of them is going to go away anytime soon. Um, but hotels are really struggling right now. Like legit, struggling. I just talked to, like I said, a guy uh, in Chicago with a 1,214 room hotel. Um, they are going to be, they've been closed since they opened up a little bit and then they closed again in March and they won't, or they're not expecting to open up until 2021. So, and even with them being closed like that, no occupancy, no guests, they're still operating at about $1.1 million a month for, you know, employee benefits and the current employees that are working plus the electric bill and all the other things that go into it. So I want to, I want to see what you've got to say. I want to hear what you got about the hotel side. Well, I'm not crying over that because they've been ripping profits for the past like 20 years. <laughs> right. So no, I'm joking. Of course. No, I, I, I feel, I feel really, I feel really bad uh, yeah. for, for hotels. Uh, the, the, Consumer trends because of COVID has changed dramatically and not a lot of people feel safe staying in hotels. Yeah. From a security point of view, hotels, generally speaking, I, I have uh, spoken to a bunch of general managers at hotels and VPs and things like that. And we asked them, what do you guys actually do for screening? And the general consensus is nothing. They don't do anything, yeah. right? And that is going to change. And that is going to change because there's now requirements for, let's say, COVID screening. So they need to have some, at least some form uh, submitted before you arrive at the property, whether you are high risk of COVID transmission or not. Have you arrived from a high risk country or have you been experiencing symptoms and things like that? And we're already seeing that, right? So the next phase of that is to remove headcount from actual operations in the hotel, which is going to be streamlined with more technology, which is actually the opportunity for short-term rental operators. Short-term rental operators, if you... You probably had this a hundred times on your podcast. Everybody comes in and says, you need to do more automation, right? Hotels are somewhat of this anti-automation 
companies because they're so such a convoluted process and mm. they operate on men count, right? Like a five-star mm. hotel is essentially you have a bunch of employees in the space serving you with very tiny rooms, but you have amazing amenities, restaurants, bars, and all of those crazy stuff that they stuffed inside to actually increase the value of the room and the stay. So yeah. hotels would need to adapt. They would need to have seamless check-ins, self-check-ins, and all of those things. And naturally, from a screening perspective, they uh, have different types of programs, and they're usually around education. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that they're effective. Um, companies like the Marriott have spent uh, and have announced that they're spending millions of dollars educating their employees about trafficking. Yeah. And they're actually putting that pressure and putting that responsibility on the front counter staff, which yep. is very irresponsible. They are usually very low wage employees, if not minimum wage employees, right? They're not trained to spot very sophisticated cases of trafficking, which is what those crime units are actually going for and going through. They are prone to, again, bias, right? And yeah. there's very little amount of mechanisms in place to increase that accuracy. So I'm very hopeful that we as an industry in hospitality will be able to provide solutions for those big hotel brands and chains and things like that. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad you mentioned that because, you know, that's where I started out was front desk, five-star Marriott, autograph collection, you know, independent, but had that flag. Um, and this is really actually a good time that you bring this up because there's another episode on the show uh, that I talk with a lawyer from California because California passed a bill that every hospitality employee needs to um, be trained in sex trafficking and like what indicators are and all these other things. Right. And there's so many times like we see, this is obviously an increased industry, unfortunately. Um, and I just think about my times like back at the front desk, like how many times did I miss out? Because front desk agents, we are trained in a certain sense of, make sure that the photo ID matches the name on the reservation, that the name on the photo ID matches the debit or credit card. And that, you know, this information kind of checks out. There's a little bit of a, you know, indicator of red flags, like when it's a prepaid booking on booking.com and the name on the ID is different. And you know, there's little things that you can pick up on um, in the sense of something's off. But like you said, the, um, excuse me, um, <clears throat> the, the sense of like the professional trafficking is very hard to pick up on. And so getting into this realm of security that you're talking about, I think it, it's so needed because this like sex, sex trafficking in general is just skyrocketing to hotels and even vacation rentals are the suckers that what, what you actually said is that uh, when you're at a hotel and you're checking the credit card against the id is to actually mm -hmm. prevent the chargeback right they care about yeah. their payments um yeah. prior to their mission statement of fighting uh, trafficking right yeah exactly. there are there aren't look these traffickers and these people these are very advanced sophisticated crimes right they're very silent crimes they don't cause havoc in the place they're super super quiet uh, usually yeah. they're blended they look very normal, right? They know how to do this. And the victims themselves are also manipulated to some extent, right? They yeah. could, the victims themselves could also be a part of the, of the crime, of the act, without even realizing it because yeah. that they don't know any better. And we've seen that time and time again of fake accounts um, or the victims themselves have been forced to and coerced to 
use their identities to create fake accounts. And then from that account, it turns into a, an entire escort ring or using the space for a brothel, right? Mm -hmm. And we've seen those incidents and that's very unfortunate. It happens in hotels more than I can even quantify probably. Yeah, it's scary. Like on how it's like right on the tip of your nose and nobody really sees it. But, you know, hopefully, you know, as like we said, that COVID's really sped a lot of things up in the industry and hopefully this is one of them. Um, you know, as we're getting to, you know, through the episode, I want to know what are some, like, you know, we always want to educate the, the listeners and kind of give, you know, knowledgeable, actionable things. Uh, what are main takeaways for property managers? So the most important part is, of course, education, like I said before, but being proactive instead of reactive and constantly thinking about those threats is super important. It comes with education. It comes with building a good process surrounding it. Obviously, enforcing that process and training yeah. and reinforcing that process is important. I'm sure that your time when you were at a hotel, you constantly had training, retraining, monthly training, performance evaluations, and a yeah. bunch of those things. It sounds far-fetched, but for an organization that has uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of employees, it's the only way to do business. When you only have a couple of employees, you can let some things slip by, but you still need to do that once in a while, right? So constantly teaching your team, constantly reiterating all, all of those things and drilling that into their heads. Super, yeah. super important. Implementing a good process from the get-go is also important. As startups, and most of short-term rental companies are usually startups and the ones that have grown, at least, it's very easy not to do those things. But the better process you build early on, the faster you'll be able to scale, right? Yeah. Without going overboard. You shouldn't okay. be spending too much time and money on it. You should be doing it just in a ratio of what your business is actually doing. So, And the last thing that I want to say is you want to make sure that everyone understands your process. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a explain your thinking. Don't just say what you're thinking and hopefully everyone picks up, like literally break it down. Um, this is where I think a lot of guys, especially I'm very guilty of this, where I'm thinking a million thoughts in my head and I'll say one point, but I don't explain it into details. So that way people understand the process of why I'm making this decision. Like that was one thing when I was a manager at a hotel uh, was I would say, okay, so-and-so at front desk, I need you to do this and housekeeping for this room. I need you to go grab this and do this one little thing for me. And it's, they don't understand why, because they don't see all the stuff that I saw that. And I thought, and I was like, Oh, this is how we're going to make the situation change. And, you know, very uh, ease like the, you know, the guest uh, experience or whatever, make it more efficient and cost effective on us. You know, I'm not on the radio hollering every detail, but at the end of the day, like you said, everyone does need to understand the process. And so when you're able to take the time, pull your staff aside and give them, this is why I said this or why I'm doing this this way. Um, it helps them because then it empowers them in the sense of um, becoming more ambassador, like for the brand, for the company and for, of course, the guest and uh, operations as a whole. And so. it's one of the most important things in conflict resolution for kids is to explain to them the reasoning why they can't do things. <laughs> it translates yes. very well to employees. Yes. And it's like, you know, you wonder why your kids ask why all the time they want to know. <laughs> so tell them why. Uh, perfect. Well, I just have a few more questions and I think this is always a fun one to ask all my guests um, is how do you see traveler behavior changing post COVID? 
Yeah, uh, super interesting. And I really don't have an answer here. And I can obviously speculate, but I can tell you from my perspective is that I am going to take a lot less trips by planes. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it's just what ends up happening. It's going to be a lot more driving. I think uh, Brian Chesky, uh, CEO of Airbnb, also affirmed that, that the ultimate travel experience is going to be within a two-hour drive from your home. Right. Yep. So that is for a leisure. For business travel, I am actually a little bit concerned, as I think we spoke slightly about this before the episode, right? Yeah, it's, it's It's been capped and it's been very difficult to build those relationships uh, where for businesses. And I think it's going to come back much faster than we expect. I just don't know when, what type of format that would be. Uh, I think it also starts with the airports as well as with the airlines, changing mm-hmm. some of their policies and changing some of their even infrastructure mm-hmm. to accommodate for that. Um, and the more we learn about COVID and the spread of COVID will also help us kind of build the facilities around how to be safe around it, right? At first it started, we thought that the spread of COVID was uh, that it was coming in from talking to each other or spitting or whatever it was, uh, close proximity, and now it potentially could be airborne, right? Yeah. So when you're stuck and sitting for hours inside of a plane, it spreads a little bit faster. So that means that they need to upgrade those filtration systems and maybe they need to pace how people are entering the airports or have mm-hmm. a queue system to entering the airport or the screening system within the airports are going to change, which I'm very hopeful. I would love the TSA to change some of their policies, right? Yeah. So I think, I think, a lot of, I think a lot of the infrastructure is going to change yeah. at first and because they absolutely need to, it's going to be a lot more efficient Airlines will need to fly a lot less, at least for the foreseeable future, because there's a lot less demand. The planes are going to be with less people. The hotels are going to change. Maybe the new hotels that are going to be built post-COVID are not going to be these 180 square foot rooms, but they are going to be 500, 600, 700 square foot rooms that will accommodate the full kitchen and will be built for more of these extended stays. Maybe... Uh, a lot of that inventory would be moved towards the longer term market, right? Mm-hmm. And you would have different business models. Like my favorite example of the business of a business model is subscription-based living, but independent of location. Mm. So you would, yeah. those are innovative solutions that could potentially emerge from this where I would, m- me as a property management company, I would be able to essentially create a marketplace for long-term subscriptions where the monthly rate would be $3,000 but I would be per property, but I'll be able to choose a studio apartment in Manhattan and live there for a month. I'll be able to choose uh, a villa in Mexico and live there for a month and I'll be able to hop around based on that. So yeah. those types of innovative business models, I, th- I think are going to be emerging because they're a lot more economical. They're a lot more operationally efficient. The workforce is changing. The travels are changing a lot of that. And you're going to see a lot more, currency arbitrage opportunities, right? If I'm a software developer and engineer in San Francisco and I'm making $250,000 and for me to have my quality of life in San Francisco, I would need to basically burn my entire salary, then maybe there's an opportunity to live in Mexico or in Belize or, you know what, even in Texas where the internet is slightly better than Belize. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's very true i'm ho- i'm hopeful too i'm i'm in the same boat i think you know i'm hoping to see n- more innovative business models i'm definitely 
really like I've been preaching the last, you know, five years about hotels being super far behind in adaptive, you know, technology and procedures and other things. So I'm really hoping to see the industry from the hotel side really turn hybrid, um, you know, remote key, uh, key like remote uh, keyless entry, um, you know, obviously more screening of the guests in that sense of kind of like an auto host. And then of course, um, getting rid of the lobby as a center of the property in the sense to open up the rooms more, give more, a little bit more value to the, the room itself and the rate that they charge. And of course, then make the front desk into like a, um, I would love to see like a Verizon, you know, style to it. You know, it's like very relaxed. It's very casual. It's personable, but also at the same time, it's not going to be the heart of every issue. You're able to solve things and actually take care of the guests in different aspects. So I think that would be the, hopefully a, They'll need to really change and reconfigure their business models, the hotels, right? Because they, yeah. uh, right now, when you walk into almost any hotel, like normal hotel in an urban area, you walk into the bar, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, yeah. and then the, after that, you walk into the reception. Uh, and after the reception, you kind of go into a common area, elevators and so forth, right? So For they sure. would need to probably reconfigure some of that. And I think a lot, uh, a lot more people, and that's why vacation rentals are more popular, yeah. because they offer more value per square footage. So the hotels will naturally need to adapt to that. I'm super curious to see how that will play out and how that will actually change. And that's kind of yet to be determined. For sure. Well, Anton, I really appreciate you being on the show. I just want to ask, can, where can everybody find you? Um, what is some maybe like last final thoughts that you may have for the audience? And yeah, I, I'm just curious to see what you got to say. For sure. Uh, thanks for having me again. It was awesome talking to you. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Anton Zilberberg. I'm probably the only one on, with that name <laughs> on there. You can reach me at autohost.ai, which is our company. Uh, feel free to submit a contact request if you have any specific questions. We'll be more than happy to accommodate. And generally, we are here to provide education for everyone who needs that. If you have any questions, any concerns, anything that you're challenged with within your business, particularly related to security, we would yeah. love to hear from you. For sure. And any listeners out there listening, I, of course, like I said, we'll put this in the show notes. If you do reach out to autohost.ai, let them know Slick Talk sent you. All right. Just give, give, give a little love to the, to the show. And um, yeah, thank you so much again, Anton, just for being on. Appreciate it. And for all you Slick Talkers out there listening, don't forget to like, subscribe, share, and check out Autohost on all the links in the episode. Thank you so much for listening. We love your support and want to provide the best we can to all our listeners. So please find us online, social media, and on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. What's up, everybody? If you've gotten this far into the episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast, then you are amazing. And thank you so much for tuning in. We want to send you two places really quickly. If you can, check out the show notes and click the hospitality.fm link. Check out all of our other shows on the podcast network. And don't forget, if you have someone that you want to hear on the podcast, then fill out the guest fill out form so that way we can get them on the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I hope you enjoy another episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast.